Amen. Well, good morning again. I, I, I'd like us to uh, just bring a word of greeting on behalf of some of our outside elders. I don't know if you know how our church functions, but we do have a church board that's comprised of uh, elders and deacons, which are like trustees. And the elders are the ones that are giving spiritual oversight of our church. But we also have outside pastoral elders that help us during times, if there was a crisis in our church, they would help us during that hour. And so they have many years of pastoral experience. And I keep in touch with them. I chatted with two of them this week. I was talking to Dr. Thomas, um, who we support in India. Uh, he also lives in Chicago. He just had finished suffering a massive heart attack. He's been cleared to go. He went back to India. And there's a lot of challenges right now where he's gone to in ministry. And so I think it takes a lot of courage to go to a place where you know there's going to be a lot of difficulty. But he wants to bring his word of greeting to you this morning. And then Glenn Breitkreitz, who pastors up in Fort, uh, Grand Prairie, uh, another outside elder. So they just want to bring their word of greeting today to you. And uh, I, I'm just thankful that we have people that uh, beyond our own congregation, care about what's happening to our church family, and that's great. I'd like us to stand this morning. Uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. You know, as I was, I'm preaching through a series uh, on the book of Jeremiah, but I, I just felt like you needed a break from it for a few weeks here. Personally, I needed a break from it for a few weeks as well because it's a very intense book. How many have discovered that if you've been traveling through it? I think it's very relevant but it's also very challenging. So today, I'm gonna to share something that I think is far more hope-filled and comforting. And uh, I think we probably all need a little change of pace, amen? And so maybe you're here this morning and you're going, man, my life just seems to be unraveling. You know, there's a lot of challenges going on in my soul right now. And maybe you're here and that's where you're at right now. I wanna pray for you. I, I just believe God wants to give you a word of hope today and a word of encouragement. Anybody up for a word of hope and encouragement today? Anybody, can anybody handle that? All right, let's pray that that happens this morning. I believe that every one of us has a God-given dream. God gives us a dream. And yet in our lives, so often it seems like our dream became a nightmare. And so I wanna pray for that situation in our lives. So Father, we thank you today. Today is a day that we're gonna discover it's all about you, it's about hope, it's about joy, it's about comfort, it's about a recognition that even though our lives apparently seem out of control, may seem challenging, it may seem uh, dark, it may seem uh, maybe even directionless at the moment, it may feel we're in a state of despair. I pray today that as we hear your word, we'll discover that you are for us and that what we think is uh, maybe a, a difficulty or a, a negative in our lives, that you're gonna turn those things and use them for good. And we're gonna see that today. And we just thank you for that, that you are working in spite of the challenge that was, is before us today. And I pray as we leave this place today, we will be filled with hope. I pray today that we will leave this place, maybe we're a bit discouraged, but we will leave this place fill of joy. Just fill us with your joy and that we'll be able to go back to our world and just have a deep confidence that you are fully in control and good things are about to happen and we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Now, in 1963, well, let's go back. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln made a declaration of emancipation, which really was basically saying that, you know, he was making a declaration that all of the slaves in the United States were free. But, you know, oftentimes a declaration of something and the reality of something are two different stories. And for many people in the United States, they never felt the freedom because there was a, still a lot of difficult situations and racism and challenges in their lives. And so Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963, 100 years, made it a truly momentous year in American history, uh, met at the Lincoln Memorial on August the 28th, and he gave a keynote address which ended a march on Washington where over 100,000 people were there and all of the cameras of all of the major networks were zeroing in on that event. It was a really a momentous moment in the history of the United States. And he made there an impassionate plea. And let me just give you a little excerpt of this message that he gave. Of course, you know, he was a minister 
so he says, so I say to you, my friends, that even though we must face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It's a dream deeply rooted in the American soil that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that on, on that day, on, on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I love that. I have a dream today. Now, I've just given you a few excerpts of that I have a dream speech. You see, he worked towards that dream becoming a reality. And I believe it's still a work in process, but they've gone a lot further since 1963 when that speech was first made. Now, in that pursuit of that dream, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was, was killed. We know that that's true. And maybe your dream is buried beneath the heartache and heartbreak of life. Maybe the barriers and obstacles on the road to your God-given dream have robbed you of the joy of seeing it become a reality, being fulfilled. And maybe today your strength may be waning. And I'm praying that we'll all have a tremendous infusion of joy to sustain us on the journey. How many know that our emotional barometer helps us move forward in life? You know, sometimes in our lives, it's like your vehicle. If you don't have fuel in it, it's gonna just come to a dead end, right? It's just gonna stop. It needs to have some sort of fuel to keep it going. And it's the same thing in our lives. We need the fuel of God's spirit. We need the fuel of his presence. And as I said earlier, God's presence brings joy into our lives. In the fullness of the, in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. I love that. And so how many know that when you're full of hope and you're full of joy, even though there's seemingly insurmountable problems, you have that faith to believe that God's gonna do something supernatural, something powerful in our lives. So how are we gonna go about handling the challenges we're gonna face on the journey or the road to God's dream. It's a road, it's, it's filled with impediments and obstacles and the very things that God uses that we think are negatives, God uses those very things to make us into the right kind of people. Isn't that beautiful? So a lot of the things that we see, wish were not a part of our lives, God's going, I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use this. And I think that eventually it helps us to become and realize this dream for our lives, this dream that God put inside of us, this God-given dream that he has in our lives. Now, it's an appreciation that realizes that God's dreams only come through God's grace. Yeah, you and I, you know, yeah, we need to be obedient, we need to, you know, stick it out, all the rest of that, but really, God's enabling God's empowering, God's gracing us to get this thing accomplished. Now I want to tell you, the Bible tells the story of a young person with a dream who God, who, who, who was a dream totally from God, and he had to walk that road from promise to fulfillment. You know, it's neat to be told, you know, when you're young, you're going to do this great thing. But how many know it's a lot different to actually have it realized? You know, you can tell all kinds of things to people. You know, everybody wants to be told good things. Everybody wants to be told something positive. But the journey to getting there sometimes can be challenging. And that's what I want to focus in on today. Because it's, I think it's a road less traveled because it's not an easy road. There's going to be some things that are going to happen on this road from the promise to the reality of the dream. And so, uh, let's take a look that I at the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. We're going to turn there to Genesis chapter 37. I believe that even the stoutest of heart sometimes wane. <laughs> sometimes there's a little fainting. You know, I remember reading a book by Charles uh, Spurgeon. He's talking about, the, it's, it's a book for ministers, and he has a chapter called The Fainting Fits, you know, where, where people are, you know, kind of, despairing and wanting to give up. You know, he, he calls that the fainting fits. And I think sometimes in our Christian journey, we have fainting fits. You know, we, we don't really want to go on. And yet we do, but we don't want to. We don't feel like going on. We feel like giving up. 
And I think that's true in all of our lives. And so God gave this young person a dream. And here we pick up the story in the book of Genesis. Um, this dream that was, hit, you know, his, his, the fulfillment of that dream was hidden from the eyes of what I call youthful enthusiasm. You know, when you're starting something, you're full of enthusiasm. When you're young, the sky's the limit. But then you have a few knocks in life. It takes the starch out of you. You know what I'm saying? And Joseph's going to experience this on, the, on his road. He had no idea how God was about to fulfill the dream. He just knew he had the dream. Uh, he had no idea how difficult the journey of the, to the dream would be. How many know that if you knew what it would take to get to what you were going to be- receive, a lot of people wouldn't even start? So like, God doesn't let us in on all the details. You say, that's nice of them. You know, I think if God told all of us the challenges that we would face in life, we wouldn't travel through life. We'd just give up at the beginning. You know, I just did a funeral service on Monday, and I was preaching from that text in the book of Ecclesiastes. Better the day of death than the day of birth. You go, what? Well, what is he talking about? He's basically saying at the end of your life, you've come through all the toils and snares and difficulties and challenges, and now you've, you've gone through the adventure called life and you've come to the end, and now you're about ready to enter your reward. That's why it's better, right? Than starting this race, and we, and we have no idea what's before us. So when you're young, you, and that's good, we need that youthful energy and enthusiasm. You know, but a lot of times what happens is as people are traveling along, they become cynical. And that's what we want to avoid. We don't need a bunch of cynics. What we need is a bunch of people who are believers and who know how to trust God and and allow God to do a work of grace in their life all the way through the journey. And so we're going to take a look today at the three challenges on the road to fulfilling a God-given dream. And the first one is simply how we handle the tests that are going to come our way. Uh, In life, you're going to be tested. It's just the nature of it. In Joseph's story, we're going to see betrayal, mistreatment, jealousy, neglect, false accusation. We're going to see imprisonment. We're going to see all kinds of painful experiences in his life. But we're also going to see some amazing elements to his life. He becomes the prime minister. Can you imagine? He ends up saving not only one nation, but two nations from death. This is an amazing story. And I believe it's a story that we need to understand because I believe in some measure we're all going to participate to some degree in a story similar to that. It's a story of jealousy. It's a, po- a story of apparent insensitivity. It's a story of emotional woundedness. You know, we're probably more sensitive to emotional things today than ever before. But, you know, how do we get past it? You know, today people just live as a victim. But I've, I'm praying today we're going to live as a victor. We're going to get beyond these things. It's an opportunity to grow spiritually and emotionally. It's amazing how through the things we suffer, we not only learn to trust and obey God, but we become far more attuned to the hurt and heartache of other people. It's about maturing. It's about growing up. It's about moving past ourselves, moving beyond ourselves, and moving into the lives of other people. I'm going to make a statement that your dream will never be fulfilled until you begin to understand the dreams of other people and you're helping them fulfill their dreams. And when that starts happening, your dream becomes, is going to become realized in the process. And we're going to see that. We pick up the story in verse 3, chapter 37. Now Israel, or Jacob, Israel was his God-given name. Joseph loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. How many know that's already a problem? You know, preferential treatment, partiality. It creates jealousy among siblings. It's really difficult, but we can't do that. Can't afford to show preferences. By the way, this this seemed to keep happening in this family. There was this kind of a a continual problem, you know. Uh, We saw it with his father. Israel's father, or Jacob's father, Esau, did the same thing. He preferred uh, Isaac over, not, not Isaac, but Esau over uh, Jacob. So this preferential treatment business, <clears throat> we, have to, we have to watch it. If we, don't, if we don't stop it in our generation, it'll just continue on. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he had, and he had made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. It created, uh, it, it, you know, yeah, it was great for, for Joseph to be loved by his dad, but then it, it alienated his siblings. And so Joseph now is on the outs with his family. 
And they couldn't even speak a kind word to him. And then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. You go, why did they hate him all the more? Because in Joseph's dream, he basically said that they were all going to bow down to him. <laughs> uh, he was going to be above them. He's the youngest. You can imagine. They just, you know, he's the baby of the family. You know, it's just like you've been babied all your life, Joseph, and now you're going to get, you know, the good life. Uh, how many know that Joseph certainly uh, was a little bit insensitive? Mark Batterson in his book Primal writes, Joseph wasn't just emotionally mature, he was emotionally ignorant. Uh, he says, he goes on to say here, one day Joseph dreamed that his brothers would bow down to him and he was so self-absorbed that he thought his brothers would actually appreciate his dreams. <laughs> he was out of touch with reality. He had no sort of EQ, no emotional intelligence. He did not connect and understand that what he was saying and doing was not going over very well. He was just oblivious, you know. Then one day in the providence of God, which speaks of God in control, Joseph's asked by his father to go check on the boys to see what they're up to. So Joseph heads off to Dothan where they were supposed to be and he goes out there and he can't find any, anybody there except for a man was wandering there and said, Joseph said to him, have you seen my brothers? How many know God put that guy there? There's nothing that happens by accident, folks. He said, no, I heard them say they were going over to Shechem. So off Joseph trots to this other location and uh, we're about to experience the first negative thing that happens to Joseph and it's coming up because there's like three events in Joseph's life that we're gonna see that helps launch him toward his dream. Verse 19 of chapter 37, he goes, the brothers say, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now Reuben, when he heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but only don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Reuben had a plan. Now Reuben was on the outs with his dad. I won't go into all the story, but he was on the outs and he wanted, I think, wanted to make amends. He, he certainly didn't want to see Joseph killed. Uh, so he said these words. The pit incident with Joseph's brothers is a moment when the ugly reality of the jealousy and partiality now takes its toll. Here's an opportunity to do something. It's kind of a tragic scene, very painful. I, you know, I can just see Joseph going, you know, like, what are you guys doing? And then he's screaming to be let out, and then they're taunting him, they're sitting down to eat, uh, and finally, in the providence of God, how many see God's in the whole story? So they see this caravan heading their way, and they see that they're Midianites, and he goes, you know, or Ishmaelites, different names, won't go into why there's two different names there, but they see them and they say, let's not kill them. We'll just sell them as a slave to these guys and that'll be it. So Joseph, their brother, is sold into slavery. How many go, you know, nice family. <laughs> this is a family that's got some family dynamic issues. There's a few problems here. So he gets sold into slavery and they're heading down to Egypt and then of course the Midianites sell them into slavery, into Egypt. Now, at that moment, you have to think about Joseph. Like, what's he thinking? Like, how many feel like this is about the furthest thing from the dream God put into his life? It seems like he's going in the wrong direction. There's a lot of questions going on. He feels alone. He feels betrayed. Uh, how is his brothers ever going to bow down to him? He, does, he just cannot see how any of this is going to happen what Joseph does not understand is that this is the first step in the dream becoming a reality. This bad thing that is happening to him is about to be the greatest thing that ever could occur. God is moving him to fulfill the dream. But it's a very negative experience. How many see that? The bad thing is going to become a good thing. But Joseph cannot see it. It seems like the worst thing possible. And in our lives, we're gonna have experiences like that where the, it seems like the worst thing possible. God's gonna use it, 
not because it's a good thing, but he's gonna use that good thing to accomplish something inside of our soul. He's gonna do a work inside of us as a result of that. So how do we respond to the bitter issues of life? How do we respond to a lack of family support? Some of you have witnessed or experienced betrayal, rejection by a spouse or a friend. Some have been abused by a family member. Others have faced bitter termination of a position they, they enjoyed. At other times, you know, it just seemed so crushing, so devastating. And life does not continue as before. Now you're, you're shifted into a whole new existence. Does God, in, but you know, it, it seems like the life you knew now has come to an end. But in reality, God is changing the direction of your life, and you don't know it. God has, God has a plan. You go, well, I have a dream. God has a plan to make that dream become reality. But you and I have an idea of how the dream should become a reality. It's a lot different than what God is going to create to make that dream become reality. There are markers in all of our lives where change has abruptly come and has moved our lives in a brand new direction. At the time, it was painful, but God is using the broken places of our lives to make us better people. In the long run, and here's the, here's the key word, if. We can either become bitter or better. We can either become cynical or we can say, you know what, God, I entrust my soul to you. I believe you have something in store in the midst of this terrible thing. We have to allow him. We have to be still. We have to let God do what he's gonna do in our lives. You know, one thing we can be sure of in God's providence, he's guiding our lives. He has something in store. God never wastes sorrows in our lives, but with, with each works out something of his design in our character and the development in our character. So in other words, he can develop something so that we can serve other people more effectively. That's what he's working on. He's gonna create that in our lives. That's his plan. Now, in those moments, we can discover something of the nature of God. He is the great comforter. You know, Paul told the Corinthian believers regarding trials and tribulations that come into our lives. He says it in 2 Corinthians. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Notice the word all. There's a comfort for every trouble we come into. So that we can comfort, there's a reason for it, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. See, you and I need to be trained how to comfort people. Well, how do we get trained? We have to let God comfort us. The comfort we receive then becomes a tool that can help us comfort other people. We have an experience now. You know, when you've gone through something, you understand what it feels like when someone else is going through it. And a lot of times, you don't even need to say a word. You can just sit there with them. You are identifying with them and their suffering. You know a lot of reason why people don't like doing certain things? They say to me, I don't know what to say. How many say that's true? I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say. Folks, most of the time, we just haven't had enough pain in our lives. Once we have pain, we realize it's not so much saying anything, it's just being there. It's just being there. Amen? Yeah, you understand. You, you understand when somebody just is there for you. You go, wow, they, must, they have suffered something and, because they understand how important it is to be there. That comfort that we find is usually found in a person and is found in God. It's as we go to him with our pain that we find healing and hope to continue into our tomorrow. He's the one that's determining our days and the places where we live. As the Apostle Paul said to the Athenians on Mars Hills, he says, from one man... He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You know, I, 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 that, that's a very general statement. What is he saying? He's talking about nations. But I think it's true of individuals. God has marked out our lives. God has a plan. 
We need to understand that. He's orchestrating things. You're a part of a plan. It's not just for your sake. It's for the sake of many other people. It's not, it's not just a self-oriented sort of thing. It's like God wants to do something in each of our lives so that we can do something collectively so that we can do something and impact other people's lives. And sometimes we do it individually, but most of the times we do things collectively and it impacts people's lives. You know, we're not here by accident today. We're here by the design of an all-knowing God. Unknown to Joseph, God was fulfilling a promise to his great-grandfather, you know, great-great-grandfather Abraham to bring him to Egypt because God had basically said that he was going to bring the people of God into the land of Egypt until the iniquity of the, uh, of the Canaanites was full. And so God was pulling them out of Canaan land, putting them into Egypt, giving the Canaanites, you know, 400 years to repent. You talk about a space of grace and mercy. That's a long time, isn't it? You know, God is really patient with people. God is really patient with sinners. God is really patient with nations who are sinning against him. But there does come a tipping point. It comes in our individual lives and it comes in nations where God says, I've had enough of this now. I've warned you enough times. Now I'm gonna address it. God was pulling them out. How did he do it? He brought Joseph out of the land. And then God allowed a famine to come into the land. It's a really amazing thing. God had a plan. I want you to see something. God is not randomly doing things. God is not just reacting to what's happening in our world. God is guiding humanity towards a specific end. God is in control. He's in control of, this, of nations. He's in control of you and me. He's in control of our lives. And while the brothers in their envy were endeavoring to defeat the dream of God, don't you think that's interesting? They were out to destroy the dream of God that God had given. God was using their very nasty behavior to fulfill the dream they were trying to kill. How many say there's a little irony? Is this any irony in this? You know, we hate this dreamer. We hate the dream. We're going to kill the dream. Therefore, we're going to betray Joseph. We're going to reject Joseph. We're going to throw him out of our house. So we're getting rid of him. We'll never see him again. That's the last of that dream. They just put him on the road to the dream. Though they sold him, which is certainly true, from the human perspective, God was the one who sent him. You know, a life is all about perspective. I would argue that 100% of your life is defined and determined by your attitude, by your perspective, how you see things, how you're responding. It is really determined by how you're thinking. There's always another perspective to our lives. Too often we're consumed by pain, the pressure of the human dilemma, and we fail to understand the bigger picture. Only in hindsight can we see clearly the hand of God at work in our pain. You know, because pain seems to, you know, swallow us up. But then eventually, over time, in hindsight, we can look back and go, okay, now I'm looking with more objectivity. When we're hurting, we're in subjectivity. It's all about us and the emotion. But once we get past all of that, we look back, we go, God uses as a vehicle to bring us to a different place in us. Because God is more concerned about what you and I become than about what you and I are acquiring or doing. He's concerned about character. God has to do something in us before he can do something through us. So they already said, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. How many know that plan didn't turn out because God had a different plan? So it was just by happenstance. It was just coincidence. The Midianites just happened to show up at that moment. How many going, not on your life. God was orchestrating the whole plan. How many can see it's just all scripted? You know, we must recognize there's going to be opposition to God's dreams or plans for our lives. Not only will there come testings and pressures from out, but then the second part of it is the temptation from within. You know, the pressure comes from outside, but how are we going to handle it on the inside? So God is trying to do something within us. One of the great tests of people experiencing success is that they'll experience high degrees of temptation. Genesis 39 it says, well, so I, I put the, the three challenges. First, how do we handle tests? Number two, how do we handle temptation? Every successful person is going to experience temptation. 
The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. He was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, I always say, watch out when you're succeeding. I'm serious about this. Watch out when you know, you're, you're, you're really succeeding and you're flourishing and you're prospering. Because, excuse me, one of the temptations is we can become proud. And then you'll find that you're fighting God rather than God working with you. It says, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant and Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Isn't that great? He just rises right up. He becomes a, the steward of the entire household. He's now over all the slaves. He just got put there, but not too long in, he's now so good. The, 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 the master sees that everything Joseph does works. He's got God's hand of favor. He's the golden boy. He's raised right up. He's the right-hand man of Potiphar. He's now running the whole estate. He's got everybody else underneath him. Only problem with having that much success is other people notice you. Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph. It says so in verse six. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. In other words, he didn't even worry about it. Joseph was honest. Joseph was blessed. Things were coming. Everything was working. Everything he did, he, I mean, he was flourishing. Potiphar was flourishing. All he was concerned about now was what, what he was eating. Make sure it's good, Right? Now, the Bible doesn't usually give physical descriptions of their characters. I don't know if you notice this. Whenever it does do that, that's a signal to you that that's a very important point and you better pay attention. Joseph was well-built and handsome. As the young girls would say, he was a hunk. You know? And it says, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. And she tried to seduce him. Come to bed with me. Now, you know, it's one thing to say no one wants to temptation, but the problem did not vanish. Joseph was now tempted over and over again, but he refused, the Bible says. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, this is kind of wearing, isn't it? He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. In other words, he made it a point to make sure where she was, he wasn't. How many are catching on? He's avoiding. But you know, there's only so many times you can avoid somebody, especially when you're a slave. It's not like you can say, hey, here's my letter of resignation. I'm out of here. You just can't resign from slavery. He's stuck. So then he says to her, uh, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph identifies the temptation for what it is, an act of disloyalty to his boss. He calls it a wicked thing and a sin against God. You know, wisdom, the wisdom literature, and Solomon points this out, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Joseph had the fear of God in his life. I'm concerned today a lot of people lack the fear of God. You see, when you have the fear of God in your life, you're saying, I'm more concerned about doing and pleasing one person, and that's God himself. I'm more concerned about pleasing him than I am about pleasing myself or anybody else. I want to do what's right. I want to do the right thing. That's powerful, that's wisdom. You know, John Murray wrote, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. And what I mean by the fear of God, we're, we're, we're talking here, you know, the word fear of God is used in two distinctly different ways in the Bible. One is a concept of dread, but the other is a concept of awe, a reverence, a respect. But it's deeper than respect. It's a high regard for God. I think that's lacking, you know, it's, it's what creates a holy life. I fear God. I'm gonna do what pleases God. There's, I believe when we're living and the Holy Spirit is filling our lives up, what, what's happening inside of us is that it creates the fear of God in us. We wanna please God. That's the most important thing in my life is to please God. 
It's the, it's the motivating principle. It's the factor. And I, I believe that as Christians and we're maturing and we're giving ourselves to God wholly, this is what comes inside of us. And so we want to do the right thing, even if it costs us something. And Joseph was there. Uh, Griffin Thomas, an old commentator, said, temptation is one of the great tests of life and character. It transforms innocence into virtue. Wow. Sin lies not in being tempted, but yielding to it. And Joseph refused. There was his power. He met the temptation by a definitive act and attitude of will. He said, I'd already decided I'm not going to sin against God. And he didn't. I think there needs to be more moral courage today to do the right thing despite the pressures of others. Right? We need to have that courage. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people, Robert Cole says, who talk about doing good, and a lot of people who argue about what's good and what's not good, but there are other folks who just put their lives on the line for what's right. They just do good. When somebody says, you're just a do-gooder, say thank you. What a compliment. I want to do the right thing. Joshua was one of those people. Out of a loving reverence for God, he marched by a different drummer. Griffin Thomas, in writing about the care of Joseph, says, true independence is to act in the crowd as one thinks in solitude. In other words, that's why it's so important that we're spending daily, we're spending time in the word of God and we're renewing our minds and we're communing with God so it's developing somehow a way of thinking and looking at life so that when the pressure comes from people around us, outside of us, we're able to do the right thing even though pressure's put on us because we've been thinking differently for so long on the inside. It's created a uniqueness about us. There's nothing more difficult to handle than to be punished for doing the right thing. How many go, that's true? I just did the right thing, now I'm going to be punished for it. But that's exactly what happened to Joseph. He did the right thing and he ended up in jail, falsely accused. I put down his life fair? No. All the people in this room, if you think life is fair, you got it wrong. I'm, life is not fair. How many say this true? It's not fair. Is God in control? Absolutely. Don't confuse what's happening in life with God. Because God is using the sin of this created world. He's allowing the sin of this created world to fulfill his design ultimately. And so there's things that happen to you and I that are not fair, but God's going to use it. If we, if we handle it the right way, God will use this as a tool to bring us to the right place and create something inside of us. You know... Joseph didn't know it at the time, but what seemed like the worst possible thing was the very means God was using him to bring fulfillment to his God-given dream. This bad thing of being falsely accused of raping his master's wife and now being incarcerated for it was the very tool that God was using to bring him into the presence of two other characters that were gonna lead him to the beginning of the fulfillment of his dream. Is that amazing? This bad thing God was going to use in a good way. I want you to think in your mind, these bad things God can use in a good way. Now Joseph, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he was crushed. I'm sure he was disappointed. You know, God was going to use it as a vehicle for a good thing. So let's take a look at the third challenge on the road to fulfilling God's dream is how we handle life's devastating twists or all of the inconsistencies that seem to be happening around us. How do you handle delay, disappointment in your life? How do you handle tragedy? In the first scene, we saw Joseph rejected, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. In the second scene, here we discover the temptation overcome by being falsely accused of, of raping his boss's wife and imprisonment for it. And here in prison, God is still with Joseph. God is with Joseph. Do you know, some of the most powerful words in the Bible, I love them. Verse 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Can I say something to you? If you're a child of God, you've given your life to Christ. Christ is living in you. God is with you. God is with you. And if God is with you, if God is for you, the Bible says, who can be against you? Who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? 
All I want is God for me. I want you to be for me, God. Because if all the, and you're gonna have enemies. Listen, don't, oh, you gotta learn this lesson from the psalmist. He says at Psalm 23, you will prepare a table for me in what? In the presence of my enemies. You shall have enemies. The enemy is always at work and he even uses good people sometimes to attack you. But if God is for you, who can be against you? Let's keep that in our minds. The Lord was with them. Again, another verse, verse 21. And the Lord was with them. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. How many get the picture? Everywhere Joseph goes, he's got favor. He's the golden boy, right? He was the golden boy at home. He's the golden boy in Potiphar's household. He's the golden boy in jail. Why? God was with him. God is with you. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. I think Joseph had a gift. How many say that's true? He just, God used his gift. He had a skill. He had an ability to manage. He had a, I think he had a gift. How many think Joseph had a gift? And God used it. I think God gave him the gift. It wasn't Joseph, it was God putting that stuff inside of him. And the warden paid no attention. You get it funny, these Egyptians, they don't like to you know, be responsible. They just go, I gotta find the responsible guy, I'll put him in charge. You know, Potiphar did it, now this guy does it. He delegates it to Joseph. He, put, he said the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Hmm. Then something happens in the story. And we know what happens. Joseph now has changed from the day he got the dream. Because, you know, he could have easily remained just a self-centered young person, you know, with ambitious dreams and just focusing on himself and feeling sorry for himself and living in self-pity, and I think a lot of people do that, and then they just go on and blame all their bad behavior on all the bad stuff that happened to them. But Joseph didn't do that. Joseph didn't you know, live in self-pity. He knew God was with him. And rather than wallowing in that, Joseph now began to focus out. He took his own pain, and he began to see the pain in the people around him. Because I think up until that point, he didn't see outside of himself. But God used all that pain to move him outside of himself, where he began to see the pain of others. And he came into the jail cell one day, and there were two people, the, the butler and the baker of the king, and they were both there, and they were both dejected. And Joseph picks up on it. I think when he was 17, he couldn't even read what was going on in his brother's life. But in verse 40, chapter 6, it says, when Joseph came the next morning, he saw they were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? He's picking up the emotional cues. Isn't that amazing? And I like what Mark Patterson writes about this incident. He noticed that they looked upset. So what? Well, it may not seem like much at first glance, but at one instance of emotional intelligence is now about to save two nations from extinction because God's gonna use Joseph in the midst of a famine. Notice a worried look speaks volumes about how much Joseph had matured emotionally. Joseph had developed an acute emotional sensitivity to the people around him. It's hard to believe that this is the same person who couldn't read his, body, his brother's body's language when his life depended on it. But more than a decade later, he's so attuned to the emotional state of those around them that he notices the discreet facial expressions revealing their level of anxiety. Why? Because he's on the other side of suffering and injustice and pain. Joseph doesn't just discern the subtle emotional cues. He's experienced a sympathy breakthrough. He is compassionate enough to get involved. And the key to our dreams becoming reality is learning to see the pain in others. Compassion is a door to dreams becoming reality, not only for ourselves, but for others. Bob Moeller says, never underestimate a single act of compassion, no matter how small, that can change the course of history in ways that, will, that only eternity will tell. That's what happened to Bob Pierce in 1950. He started World Vision. Why? Because you know, he saw a child dying while waiting for food. It broke his heart. It moved him to do something. 
And he returned to the United States and started raising awareness and funds. And then on one of his trips, he met a little girl, White Jade, who had been beaten and disowned because she had made a decision to follow Christ. And all Bob had was $5 in his pocket, so he gave it to her, but pledged to send her money every month in order to feed an educator. And that spirit acted, act of compassion became the catalyst for world vision. It's amazing. What injustice or need do you see that's speaking to you to do something about? Or as Mark Batterson writes, what makes you glad or sad or mad? What puts a holy smile on your face? What causes your spirit to sob uncontrollably? What makes you pound your fists on the table out of righteous indignation? Somewhere in the mixture of that gladness, sadness, and madness is your God-ordained passion. Or maybe I should say compassion because you're feeling what God feels. And once you identify, doing something about it is no longer optional. That's your God-given dream. When the, Joseph interprets the butler's dream in a favorable light, the baker wants to find out, well, maybe this is good news for me too. Wrong, he gets hanged. Uh, but then Joseph says to the, the butler, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He said, remember me when you go to Pharaoh because you have access to him. I've been unjustly put in prison. But the Bible says he forgot him. And for two years, nothing happened in Joseph's life. Now, how many know at that point you can just say, is there any point in doing good for people? Because nobody appreciates what I'm doing. Come on, some of you have thought that. Let me point out something. God sees it. Who are we doing it for? See, if you're doing it for people, you're going to quit. But if you're doing it for God, you'll keep going. There's a big difference. Who are you serving? You know... Forgotten, that's a powerful word, isn't it? To be forgotten in prison is even worse. To be forgotten in pain and difficulty is really sad. But the upside of the downside of life is something we don't always appreciate. I like what Griffin Thomas writes regarding the value of difficulty. It's, it's the worst possible thing for a young life to be made easy, to have everything done for it, to have a good time. Yokes born in youth have at least three results. They prove personal integrity, they promote spiritual maturity, and they prepare for fuller opportunity. My generation has done disservice to a younger generation because we did too much for them. And we didn't let them struggle enough. It's getting quiet in here. In nature and in human life, the best things are not the easiest but the hardest to obtain. You have to let people grow up. Prison was a place where Joseph was now fitted for his life work. What a tough place to learn, huh? He goes on to say, God always sends his servants to school in order to fit them for future work, and it's necessary that they should have a thorough education. Training, whether physical or moral, must necessarily be attended with hardship, and those whom God uses most have to be trained in the hardest schools. And if you look at Scripture... It bears it out. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a wilderness in solitude and difficult and obscurity. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press in the midst of captivity. David was called from tending sheep on the lonely hillsides of Bethlehem. The place of training for the job was also a fascinating study. Moses in the wilderness, David fleeing Saul. Elijah was trained in the wilderness eating scraps from the ravens. I don't know how much they were giving him. Here we have Joseph sold into slavery, falsely accused and imprisoned. And I like what Bob Moeller writes. What happens in us is more, is more important than what happens to us. What happens in us is more important than what happens to us. The development of Christ-like character is God's first and foremost agenda for our lives. For that to happen, we sometimes go through difficult situations. So, in conclusion, let's stand. I'm just going to leave you with one more quote and a thought. <clears throat> Griffin Thomas writes, The most unlikely circumstances are part of our education. Joseph spent 13 years in Egypt, and most of those years spent under the cloud. What was there to show as a result of all of this time? Apparently nothing, and yet really everything. All of his experiences had been part of his training and some dreams take a long time to fulfill. What dream has God given you? Don't despair, though the road is difficult. 
Let us pray we don't falter in the test, succumb to the temptation, or give up, because what we consider reversals in our lives are actually God's vehicles to bring us to them. So let's just have every head bowed this morning. You know, I, I sense today, and I was just thinking about this, you know, some of you are going through a very difficult time. But I want you to see it as God's vehicle to bring something into you, into your inner being, that he wants to use, not just for you, but for others. It's not just about us, folks. And you know, when we go through these things in our lives, we grow as a result of that. So how many here today say, you know, Pastor, it's really interesting you're speaking on this message because, you know what, I feel like I'm a little discouraged. And I need it to be reawakened. Maybe you're here today, you said, I've lost my dream. But you know what, it's still there. And God is working it out. What's happened in the meantime is God is working on your character. It's not about the dream, it's about you. It's about developing you. That's what was happening with Joseph. So how many here say, you know what? I have to confess, I've been a little discouraged of late, Pastor. That's me, just raise your hand. I wanna pray for you today. Some of you are saying, I've lost my dream. Maybe that's you, raise your hand. I wanna pray for you today. God wants to revive it. You know, life has a way of eating us up and chewing us out and spitting us out. But I want you to know something. God is in control of all of this stuff. How many are seeing that? God was, it's not just about Joseph and what he did with the nation of Israel through Joseph. That's true of all of our lives. He's doing something to you in order to do something in you. And then he's going to do something through you. And so, Father, we pray today as we are looking at this beautiful story. I love this. It's one of my favorite stories. Because it reveals to us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have no fear of evil because you are with us. Your rod and they staff, they comfort us. Your word is comforting us. You're directing, you're guiding, you're speaking into our lives today. Lord, help us not to give up on the plan that you have for us and the thing that you're trying to do within us so that you can do something profoundly exciting through our lives. You're gonna use every sorrow, every, every challenge that's come into our lives. It's not a waste. You're gonna use these things to help other people. And you're moving us beyond ourselves, that the difficulties are designed to teach us. It's not about us. You're making us a better us. You're making us a better version of ourselves through these difficulties, if we will be still and let you have your way in us and not grow angry and cynical and bitter and faltering and having fainting fits. Strengthen us, I pray, today. And may we leave with hope, courage, and joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.